Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to That Gabby Roslin Podcast, part of the Acast Creator Network. This week, my guest is Paul Chowdhury, and we start this episode of the podcast chatting about hummus and smart fridges, as you do. We talk about his massive sellout gig at Wembley and heckling. We discuss his choice about not doing too much stand-up on TV, even though he started out as an extra on television. He makes me giggle talking about doing his stand-up in people's homes and how he started out standing on sofas in nightclubs. We then have a natter about starring in the movie Cruella with Emma Stone and acting alongside Patrick Dempsey in Devils. Okay, trigger warning time. We do discuss the extreme and horrific racist abuse that both he and his family received in the past. His stories are shocking and disgusting, and that leads us on to talking about diversity across the board. Paul is very open about his mental health issues and is a very thoughtful but private man who shared so much, and for that, I am very thankful. I do hope you enjoy listening to this gentle man. Please, can I ask you a favour? Would you mind following and subscribing, please? By clicking the follow or subscribe button. This is completely and utterly free, by the way, and you can also rate and review on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple app on your iPhone or iPad. Simply scroll down to the bottom of all of the episodes. I know there have been quite a few now and you'll see the stars where you can tap and rate and also please write a review thank you so much paul chowdhury how are you gabby's been a long time well a few months too too long in my world okay too long Because you're just a joy. Um, do you know, uh, I just need to check, have you got organic hummus in your fridge? I have, actually. How do you know about that? Have you got one of those smart fridges and you've got a link up to my fridge where you can... <laughs> you, you can you, have you seen that? You can do these in the fridge yes. and you can find out what's in your fridge when you're at the soup, supermarket so you don't buy the wrong stuff. But you can't have a smart fridge and see in somebody else's fridge, can you? I think they'll probably invent technology where you can spy on someone else's fridge soon. Do you know I wanted to do a TV show for years where um, what's inside your fridge? Because I think it t- says a lot about somebody. So apart from the organic hummus, what else have you got in there? So mine's, mine's very basic. Lots of salad, spinach, smoothies, a little bit fresh fish and uh, lots of oat milk. Pretty London fridge, I think. Um, <laughs> how lovely to talk to you. I, I, you're midst of your tour, which still makes me giggle. I mean... Yeah, your tour makes me giggle, of course, but I meant your tour, the name, family-friendly comedian, 
no children allowed is just clever. Well, I don't know why they added no children are allowed, but yeah, it's... Um... It's not, um, it's not uh, Jack and Ori, which you might not know, but that was a show where everybody would sit and read a story for children. Uh, it's not that, is it? Well, there was a 14-year-old in last night with his dad and, uh, and his sister, there was another 14-year-old, so he seemed to enjoy it. But yeah, not for small kids. Not for small kids. How do you know that they were in? Did you pull them out of the audience? Well, they were literally in the front row, and you can see the front row, and I'm like, how old are you? And he said 14. Does it, is it, do you need that? Do you need to be able to see the audience to be able to get that reaction? Not really. I don't tend to have the audience lit. I have the, um, the stage lit, but sometimes that causes a bit of bounce, which is the technical term, where the light bounces off the stage, and you can see a little bit of the front row. So you can generally see a little bit at the front, but the rest of it you can't see. And it makes the performance. You don't want the audience too lit either. They get self-conscious. But why do you like it that it's dark? Um, well, it makes it, it makes it a much more enjoyable experience for the audience as well, because some people don't want other people to know what they're laughing at. But then it also can encourage heckling because when people are completely in the dark, they um, they tend to try and get involved too much and think they can't be seen or heard. Well, seen anyway. How do you feel about heckling? What 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 is it like? I mean, do do, do people heckle where you ex? You know, is it an expected heckle or do you like an unexpected heckle? Well, comics don't really like heckles in general, but when they happen, we deal with them. And I think it's a British thing where we really destroy a heckler and rather in america it's like hey you do not heckle the acts let them do their act and they finish their act and you can give them some feedback whereas in england <laughs> you're mate you're rubbish or something when's the joke's gonna start oh that's horrible though <laughs> i don't like that i mean you've i you know everything that i've read about you you had a, a tough childhood and and you were i mean endured racist abuse and the stuff that I've read has just broken my heart so I'm so sorry you had to go through that but does that sometimes I know this is a, a sort of weird leap but does the heckling sometimes feel like bullying that you've experienced I'm, I'm not so much at my own shows because now when I'm touring the fans are already fans of mine so they're already on board some to some extent where they've seen my previous work but when I was at the clubs and I was getting heckled and uh, yeah, it was a different type of thing then when you're just one of the acts going on a bill of other comedians. And I tended to be the only non-white person in the room at the time because there wasn't much diversity in entertainment 20 years ago. Do you, but do you feel that that's changed? That's changed a little bit. Not, not that much, but it's changed slightly. Yeah. It's, it's, um, but then I'm a touring comic, so I'm the only guy on the show now so uh, it's, it's, they're coming to my show now because i've built up a fan base so it's um yeah and then the audience become quite diverse now because they see much more diversity within the performance media quite frankly there needs to be more i'm going to say it i just think there should be um okay so let's go to uh, selling out wembley to ten thousand people i mean it's that's rock and roll. I mean, that's incredible. Please tell me you were delighted and happy and surprised. Yeah, that was a few years ago now. Doesn't matter. It still happened. <laughs> it happened. 
Yeah, and that tour I did a hundred thousand people in total for the tour. So that was one of the dates. So we, so yeah, about hundred thousand people saw that tour. So it puts me in like the top ten UK selling comics, and I'm probably the only non like the person who's not a household name on that list. Like the other people to sell out Wembley that year was Mickey Flanagan and Jack Whitehall, and they can't even go to Sainsbury's. How so? How has it happened then for you? I mean, I, is is it is word of mouth? I presume. Yeah, a lot of word of mouth. It's quite an organic following. People tended to yeah, tell their mates about it, and um, you know, I'm not a regular TV comic, but um, I'm known for de- delivering a a decent live show. It's very interesting, though. Have you? Have you made it a stand of yours not to do more telly? Because I know you've done um, Live at the Apollo and you've, you, I mean, you've done a, a few TV shows. You've done Taskmaster and 8 Out of 10 Cats. But have you sort of made it a, a thing that you don't want to go on to the usual panel shows? I've done, yeah, I've done bits and pieces. Like I did Live at the Apollo a couple of times. And the thing about those shows is, and even Taskmaster back in, 2006, I think the series three that was when it was on Dave, and now it's become a huge show on Channel Four. But um, when I did those shows, like there were there were small shows at the time. Well, the Live at the Apollo is quite a big show, but I only done one or two spots on it. But it's whether the audience latch on to that and think, oh, this is an interesting individual or comic or performer who can watch and would like to see them live. So you really need to capture the public's attention with any performance you do on TV. There's no point in being on everything and being less than average. If you're on one or two things, try and be great on them and then you'll build an audience that way, I think. So how did it all start? I, I know that you um, you were an extra in things like Holby and um, a couple <laughs> of films. I love that giggle. Uh, so you did all the extra stuff and then you started doing the comedy store, uh, the open mic nights, but when did it become that you knew you could earn a living as a comic and not do the extra work anymore? Yeah, that was, um, yeah, so I graduated, I got a degree in media, film and TV. And then during that, I was doing a bit of extra work on London's Burning and a few films, Holby City. I was in the entire first series of that with Michael French. Do you remember from EastEnders? I do, yes. Very <laughs> sexy man. <laughs> yeah, he was like the sex symbol of the time. And um, I was like his kind of assistant doctor in it, walking around with him with a clipboard, saying the odd word here in the at BBC studios um, where they would film Top of the Pops the last ever season there in the same building. And um, and then I'd, in the evening I would go to to the comedy clubs and just try out stuff I'd written over the years. And I wanted to start when I was younger, but I just didn't have the bottle to go and do it. And I tried it and then it became an addiction. And then, you know, you ended up getting 50 quid. That was the first ever. And I think I won a competition. I just gave that to my parents, the 50 quid, because I'd lived with them for so many years. It was the least I could do. And, um, and then within two years, I think I'd broken into the two major clubs in England, which was the comedy store and jonglers. So they tended to pay a slightly more than 50 quid so I could like pay the bills a bit. And, uh, and then I just carried on since then and, and carried on doing the club circuit for 10 years. Isn't it quite a daunting thing to suddenly d- to become a comedian? I'm, I'm fascinated by you guys. And, I, I, you know, I've 
I hate it when people say it, but yeah, I do know some comedians who are very close personal friends and I just sometimes just sit there and look. I'll be with whoever. I was going, how do you do this? I mean, that idea that it makes me, I'm scratching my chest now as if I come out in hives. It does, <laughs> it's a terrifying thought. I'll go up and do anything in front of millions of people, but stand up, God. Apparently it's the number one fear. Public speaking is the issue there, I think, with human beings. I'm not sure if it's the comedy. We're scared to publicly speak in front of others for some reason. That's just a fear. And I think comics have that thing in them where they're not scared to speak in public unless they're trying to be funny. You know, they're trying to be... Because well, uh, uh, comics, essentially, we're public speakers who add jokes and punchlines to our sentences. So as long as you can get over that public speaking fear, the rest is pretty easy, I think. No, the public speaking thing, I get, because that's what I've done all my life, and I love it. But it's the it's that thing of trying out a gag and what what if somebody doesn't laugh i think i'd be that's what would that's what's making me pull my jumper away from my neck thinking oh my word well they're not going to laugh at all your jokes that's the thing so for a joke to work you need to test it quite a few times when comics say jokes in front of an audience half the time it might not work but that's the development of stand-up where you have to keep on writing the stand-up and adapt it it's like it's like almost like a book read or you know like a test screening for a film and then they'll adapt for them they'll do another edit for that film it's the same way a comic would work they'll test that material and if it doesn't work you'll have to go back and rewrite that line or change things around that's the nature of it we don't all just go up and speak and it's all hilarious oh you sp- that's it you shattered all my illusions I thought that's what you did. You just naturally <laughs> funny. Um, how do your family feel? I mean, I, I love the story of your dad coming over here and um, working uh, on the buses and then and then buying shops and um, was it a newsagent and a mm. sandwich shop and all sorts of things. So you're so removed from, from what he did. How did the whole family take on board Mr Showbiz selling out Wembley? I'm going to keep bringing that up because it is cool. <laughs> well, he actually pushed me into the performing arts. So he's quite... He's, oh, really? Yeah, he, he's, he's been such a fan of the entertainment business and watching comedies since the 60s and 70s that he got me into acting and, um, and he was very supportive of my comedy. And it still is like he, he, he gives me advice on what to do and, and in, inspires me to sell out Wembley. Which a lot of people would say, oh, what would your parents say? Your parents must be, uh, what's... But I think any family would have an issue with their child if they want to become a rock star. Or, But my family were always supportive of that. But that, that's so lovely to hear. I mean, you, it's very rare that you hear that. So how did he push you into it? What What did he say? How did that all change? What What was What was his his um, kick up the bottom? No, he, he, he took me to acting classes when I was a kid. And uh, then I got a bug for the performance art. Um, but comedy was something I used to watch in my spare time. But stand-up comedy wasn't that big in England in the 80s as it is now. Uh, but it was much bigger in America, so I'd end up getting the videos of like Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, Sam Kinison, Bill Hicks, and all those guys in the 90s as well. And in this country, I used to watch all the TV shows from Morecambe Wise to to Bob Monkhouse, 
I thought that Bob Monkhouse was a great comic, managed to adapt himself to any environment. And um, when he'd go into a corporate event, he would write the material about the, or he'd have jokes about the specific company he was performing in front of, which I adapted to my corporate work, where if I'm doing a corporate show for, say, you know, the tech awards, I'd have jokes about technology or some of the people in the room might get some information about them before the show starts. And uh, please share my favourite story. You know I'm going to ask you to tell the story because um, you've told it before when, when I've interviewed you um, about going to people's houses and doing gigs because it is my favourite story. So please share. Yeah, I mean, I do get lots of emails saying, come and do a show at our house. Um, and I did a show, I think it was Leamington Spa, when I thought it was going to be in a, a hall or maybe they've got a big attachment to their house where they've got an annex or something where they've got this stage. But when I went to the house, it was actually the living room around the, in front of the sofas and it, and in front of the TV and the TV was still on. So all the family were there, the extended family, the kids were running around in the living room. And then I just got thrown into this living room. Yeah. But without your shoes on, I had to take my shoes off at the front door. Yeah. So you've got your shoes in your hand and you're standing in front of their on television. How did this happen? Yeah, weird. They must, be, they must have been watching me on TV at some point and then I'm in front of the TV. It must have been like some weird 3D thing or he's come to life. <laughs> Lying the witch in the wardrobe situation where all of a sudden this guy is now in the living room. They must have been pretty freaked out by it. I, I, I'm pretty freaked out about just thinking about it. So what did you do? I mean, did you do your routine? It was very hard to do the routine. So I just had to kind of talk to the entire family members. And I wrote some jokes about the family members, which I was given beforehand. So I kind of did, which uh, some went down well. And some was like, you know, were, were trying to heckle me back. It's like literally this whole family heckling me. And I'm no. one by one take on the entire year. It was, and then the little, I remember a girl sat on her dad's lap and said, Daddy, why is he making fun of you? She, she didn't understand why this, they're not going to understand. They just think, why is this guy that's not even related to us walked into the house with his shoes in his hands and now he's <laughs> taking the mick out of my dad for no reason. I just looked up and I walked in, out, I walked in out of the street to just rinse their family members. <laughs> <laughs> what? there for? I stayed there for about three months. <laughs> oh no, it was, it was about, it was about 25, half an hour or something. And did they offer you a meal? Yeah, I had to have a meal with them afterwards. Oh my word. Which is as hard because then you're trying to eat and then they're trying to talk to you afterwards. And But they did have a pool in there, like a pool table in one of the adjacent kind of extensions. So that made it a bit easier because some people were playing pool. Because oh, they were playing pool. So it wasn't all focused on just staring at me while they... Hold on a minute. So the TV's on, you've got your shoes in your hand, and the family are watching you. The little girl doesn't understand why you're, why you're completely ripping everything out of her dad. And then there's still family members playing pool next door whilst you're doing this. Oh, that was afterwards, yeah, but I'm sure oh, there were people okay. playing pool. Yeah. <laughs> that was afterwards when I... Because I couldn't... It literally, it was packed in this living room. It was, and there were people sat on the floor in front of me. There were people on the sofas. There was people going in and out of the kitchen while I'm on 
I call it a stage, but I was on the carpet. So uh, would you do this sort of thing? I, I mean, I, I love the idea that they booked you. Can you come and play in our front room? There is a TV show in that. You know there is. Dave would love it. <laughs> They'd love it. But but have you done other Have you other, done other strange, weird and wonderful places? Yeah, I probably have done strange, weird and wonderful places. Like, um, what's the weirdest one? I mean, that's probably one of the weirdest. Well, like back in the club circuit days, when I was on the on the club scene, you'd get bookings. And one of the weirdest ones was in a nightclub. They used to do stand-up in nightclubs. So what they would do, and I was in this nightclub, and then it's like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, then it's, all, it's already one, half one in the morning. And people are quite inebriated by that point. And they're trying to talk to guy, girls and men are trying to, you know, they're trying to buy girls champagne, all this kind of stuff. You know what it's like in a nightclub. You, you, you're you a frequent. In the, yeah, me, customer. yeah, I'm a real nightclub. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then all of a sudden, they'd stop the music at half past one in the morning. And they'd say, look, everyone stop. And then everyone goes, what's going on? Why is the music stopped? Well, we've got some comedy now. And then all of us, yeah, we've got some comedy now. And then they'd give you the microphone and there's no stage and you'd have to stand on one of the sofas. So one of the spotlights was actually lighting you because it's so dark in these nightclubs. And they'd turn the lights up a little bit and you'd stand on a sofa and do some stand-up comedy. So I realised this was almost an impossible task to achieve after one of them. So then the next time I did it, I got a support act to open for me. So when they put in one first, nobody would laugh, but they'd get used to the fact that there was a comic on stage and then I'd go on second and then it would go down not as badly because they think, all right, we might as well listen to the next guy. <laughs> How weird. <laughs> and they'd still do that. They'd say, oh, we need you to do a gig. And, I know. and then since then I'd just turn them down. So no, I just don't do nightclubs. That's just so weird. You're dancing the night away at one o'clock in the morning and then you have to stop <laughs> and you've pulled someone and you really fancy them. No, hold on, let's just listen to the the very funny man. <laughs> Although, you know, I, I would stop and do anything to listen to you because you do make me laugh. So we're, we're going back 15 you years. You make me laugh. So they didn't, have, they didn't have a clue. Okay, not now. Yeah, they didn't have a clue who I was. You know, you're just an unknown comic. Oh, we see. Yeah, not now. This is way back in the day. And now if I walked on, they'd probably give me like a couple of minutes but even now at one o'clock in the morning I wouldn't walk on in a nightclub I remember like the Hippodrome they'd have Jason Donovan going on they'd have all these celebrities doing sets at these nightclubs at the Hippodrome the Hippodrome remember that in Leicester Square now it's a casino yes I do and then Jason Donovan used to do like stints there or ex um, soap stars would all of a sudden become singers back in the 90s oh it's just quite a wonderful thought Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Can we go back to um, obviously a, a difficult time? I, if you don't want to talk about it, please don't. But but I, I was really shocked uh, reading about how how much um, racism and abuse you and your family received growing up. Um, is that is that one of those things you you just had to get used to? I hate that I'm even putting it like that. I mean, I. I find it horrific. What I've read is is utterly disgusting, and I'm disgusted that it that you went through it, and I'm heartbroken you did. But what was it like living through times like that? Well, it it wasn't in our eyes, in our in our world. It wasn't. We didn't even consider it disgusting. It was normality. So the way the way you would look at it now, or even you looking back at it thinking, oh, that's terrible. But to us, or ethnic minority groups in England in the 80s and the 70s, and even the 90s to a degree, and some to some extent now, not as much, but uh, it's because it's not as blatant, but it was just normal. If you'd get, you'd get spat on, you'd get racial abuse, you'd get your parents, you know, people shout out racial slurs at you, uh, there'd be attacks, and we'd just get on with it. But now it would be headline news, it would be trending on Twitter, and people would be outraged by it, but it was normal then, and you just get on with your day. It wasn't something. But normal? Think of. What's normal about that? There's nothing normal about that. Yeah, because if you look back at uh, even entertainment, and if you look back in uh, at the speeches of Enoch Powell, the British Blood speech, and and the riots of Southall and Brixton, it was just a tension that was through the community, and and a lot of people didn't want um, immigration and diversity in England at the time. And they still don't, but back then it was much more open and accepted that um, you either want them here or you don't want them here. And if you didn't want them here, you'd tell them in the street and you'd tell them to their faces. You wouldn't go to the politicians. You'd actually go to the source. But if you don't like a member of staff in a shop, you then complain to the manager. You don't then just attack the staff member. That's kind of how it worked. So we just, we were just living through a time where we knew we had to get through and, and it, it was just uh, a part of the societal norms as we saw it back then. I'm not sure if others can relate to that, but um, it was much harder for you know my father coming in 1964 wearing a turban and the racial abuse. And, and he'd said if he was working on the buses as a bus conductor, if someone gave him racial abuse, he'd just get on and not get a ticket off him. And whereas another person of an ethnic background would have it, have an issue with it. And, They'll just get attacked, and then nothing can be done. I mean, your father was very seriously attacked though, as well. Yeah, he was. He was attacked, and he, and he just. But then, he took quite a few stitches to the face, and it was a, a knife attack, and the people were never caught. And um, but he got on with it, and he never held grudges. An amazing man. 
and I was, I've been, a, yeah, I've, I've been attacked. I've been, there's lots of stuff has happened to me, but you can't let it affect you because you know that, that this is a part of human nature. Unfortunately, it's the, some of the darker sides. Of- I, I, I mean, I, my heart bleeds for you. I mean, I was um, speaking to Vex King on this podcast and he was talking about the racism that he endured. And honestly, I, it just, and it sounds patronising to say it makes me sick to my stomach, but it really does. And and just knowing that you, you your dad just got on with it and you just got on with it after the after what what you went through, and now you're up there making everybody laugh and feel better about their lives, it, it's quite remarkable. It really is. I'm just sorry that you had to go through that. I don't know what else to say, and I just hope. No, it's nothing to say really. No, but I hope that kids today don't. Continue, this doesn't carry on. Well, there's much more diversity in the country now. It's quite a different country to what it used to be in the in the 70s and the 80s. Um, England has changed, but it it can become slightly more underground. And um, it's and it's interesting how the media circles have changed. But there aren't as many people of different sectors of society within production in media yet but uh, but it's changing and we need portrayals of all different types of people and genders and you know it's good that things are going hopefully in the right direction do you feel that when you watch television and when you see films do you do you, I, I mean you know it, um uh dis- more dis- more people with disabilities more people of color more people who are older you know, all of these things, do you feel it is changing? Well, hopefully, but it's changing slightly. Um, well, you know, when they discuss why is there no black James Bond, for instance, it's, I always find that quite an interesting topic of discussion when that comes up, because then they're like, well, why are we only talking about a black James Bond? What about all the other different sectors of society, <laughs> James Bond? Yeah. It's almost yeah. as if there's, there's, there's two races and, and that's what we're going to talk about. And they think they're kind of tackling some kind of cause, but they're not. They're just saying, why well, is there no black or white James Bond? And it's great. The strides that the black community have made, I think it's incredible. And they're very outspoken within their communities and when there's injustice done. And if other races were as open about it, there'd probably be more progress. I think you could be James Bond. I think that's what you're saying. <laughs> They've never said, is there an Indian James Bond ever? Well, maybe you can do it. I mean, look, you've been in Hollywood <laughs> movies now, Mr. Movie Star with Cruella. Yeah, yeah, I was in Cruella with Emma Stone. I'm in Devils with Patrick Dempsey. Look at the way you just dropped that in. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about racism and then, hey, let's go straight to Emma Stone and Cruella. Um, uh, why not? That's the joy of this podcast. Uh, so tell me about that. Tell me all about making that movie. It was huge. Yeah, it's probably the biggest thing I've ever been in, considering, and that those kinds of films will out, outlive us all, won't they? It's like any Disney film in hundreds of years to come, someone will watch that and they'll see my, ta- my cameo appearance in it. Um, but people don't recognise me from it. What yeah, they don't recognise me from it. Because I'm wearing this big like wig in it and I put on this accent for it and um, they didn't quite know it was me. And they thought, oh, right, it's actually, oh, that was you. Like that, It doesn't quite clock because Emma Stone, you won't even recognise, obviously, with her. Yeah, but I knew it was you and I knew it was Emma. 
You did, yeah, yeah you did, you're unmistakably you. I'm sorry. No, people will. You didn't get us too mistaken, did you? No, 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 I didn't. I'm very pleased to say. You're famous for all your accents, though. That's your big thing, isn't it? Lots. Of, it's so funny when when you mention you people, oh, he's yeah. great at accents. Uh, actually, when I started stand-up, I used to do impressions. Um, Who did you do? Oh, I can't remember back then, like Chris Tarrant, Al Pacino was a big one, stuff like that. Oh, come on, come on, come on. You have got you can't say uh, it and not do it. Do you remember, uh, I, was, I used to do that, I think I used to do a line from Scent of a Woman. Do you remember that film he won the Oscar for, where he played the blind teacher? Yes, I do. And he said, Shh, I think, uh, he couldn't see it, but he said, she's, she's got a great ass. I've now interviewed Al Pacino. Right, who else are you going to be? Tonight, Matthew, I will be. It was Matthew gone. He's an actor. He acts. He's he's he was just in the, was he in the, he was in the dresser, with Julian Clary. There we go. All right. Very fine actor he is. Julian Clary was probably one of the first comics to kind of get cancelled in a weird way when he had that Channel Four show, and he was one of the first comics to have like a mainstream show with the alternative guys. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Was, and then he got uh, into uh, trouble for something he did. I think he said something about Norman Lamont, the he MP did. at the time, at an award he ceremony, uh, something to do with his fist or something. That's and, the one. Uh, and then everybody yeah. went, everyone was very shocked. Although if you see the stuff that goes out now about everybody, and, and you know, so let's say, some, uh, although people won't know if I say X certificate because it doesn't exist anymore, but, but a lot of comedians say things, as do you, that possibly you can't say on television because... You know, people come along to your stand-up shows and they might be surprised and shocked from some of the stuff that you say. And you get away with it. Comedians get away with it. Ventriloquists get away with it. You say things that lots of people would like to say, but don't say it. Well, yeah, they say it. And I think within the context of the show, it works. So when you're coming to watch a comic do an hour or two on stage, it's all in, in context. But when you snip a sentence out of a show which has nothing to do with anything else and then you put it online or it will go viral then all of a sudden well how, how could he say such a thing how could she say that when when it's been taken what it's like taking a line out of shakespeare and having it stand alone you're like, that's disgusting i could yes um even romeo and juliet it's one of the most offensive plays yeah, taking it all out of context. For, for you, Paul, Paul, is your stand-up, I know, as I said, you're, you're in midst tour, so it's lovely to be talking to you midst tour, but um, is it the acting side that you want to develop more? Because there's something, I just get the feeling that you want to, you want to do more of everything, I've, that you don't want to just sit back on your laurels and go, well, look, there we go. I sold out Wembley. You see, I mentioned it again. Um, uh, I've been in a Hollywood, massive Hollywood blockbuster. Or, or I just get the feeling that you want more. Well, I, I enjoy doing the stand-up more than anything, really. It's like anything that comes around the stand-up is a bonus. So um, when the Hollywood casting directors asked me to play cameos or become a regular in a, a drama. Which well, I'm devils. In. Look at devils. you with Devils as well. Yeah, Devils. is the season. I've just finished season two recently, and that comes out in Easter. So, um, And that's broadcast around the world. So when I do stuff like that, it's, it's great. But um, stand-up is what I'm, I think, the best at. 
and and still learning, even after 23 years, I'm still learning how to improve as a stand-up and be more honest and change and evolve. I think that's how people like Madonna have continued their careers for so many years because they keep evolving and reinventing themselves. I think that's quite important because you don't want to bore the audience and become the same act for years. You are very honest, though, because you're very open about mental health issues and everything as well. And I do, you know, honesty obviously works for a stand-up comedian as well. Yeah, honesty, I think the audience appreciate. And also you're you're sharing space and time with an audience um, when you're up there for a couple of hours. They want they're, they're spending time in your company rather than just hearing the jokes. So when you watch the jokes at home, or if you take out a fight, like the live the Apollo is like almost like a trailer to what you can expect to see when you see that comic. But it's interesting. Some comics have done five, ten Apollos and still don't tend to pick up an audience. And I'm quite lucky to have done one or two, and all of a sudden. I've built up quite, uh, quite, quite a good life following. I'm quite humbled to have that. So, but you're you're in this massive Sky Show Devils, as we just mentioned. Um, you've been in the films. You've sold out Wembley. Yeah, that's about the twentieth time I've said it. But you're still you're very um, you you keep yourself to yourself. You're very private. You know, when I do my research on any of my guests, you know, I I trawl through everything, and. There's not a lot about you. So thank you for sharing some, some, some tough stuff that you shared. But do you think that's also important, that you keep a part of you locked away and not for the general public? Well, entertainment has changed to the point where when I was coming up, you needed an equity card to be on TV or even I remember it well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'd have to have this equity card. And yes. then... When reality shows kicked in in the 90s, and all of a sudden, it, the equity's power diminished slightly because they waver all their rights as performers. And um, I think reality TV changed that. So now we live in an age where people want to know what's and all about everyone and because they're on reality shows, but those lifespans of those I wouldn't call them performers I think they're just people on TV really it's quite interesting how that's changed so you want to separate yourself from that type of entertainment even though stand-up comedy is quite a real thing but we're performers it's a craft it's an art that we learn and develop whereas when you're just being filmed living in a house it's not it's it's a different thing isn't it it's what and and that can be it's cele- it's that c word celebrity exactly is the c word yeah the c word celebrity uh, what does celebrity mean anymore what cuz back when when i was growing up people were known for doing something they were celebrities because they were comics or actors or or painters or you know there were then there were real celebrities playing to 20 million people an evening and like, this is and when you have ever saw them, you're like, it's incredible. But now everyone's a celebrity, an online celebrity. Uh, there's, there's so many different types of celebrity, but you don't even know what they do. It's making me sound quite old now, actually, isn't it? No, it's not. It's just you're being honest about it. And I, what I get from what you're saying is that 
you are not a celebrity. You go out there and you work for your craft. Yeah, I consider myself, I, there is the C word involved, which is a comic, so rather than a celebrity. So when people say you're a celebrity, I'm like, no, I'm not really a celebrity. I don't go to many celebrity events, very rarely. I keep myself to myself. And when people see me it's on stage or doing something hopefully funny rather than just doing anything they're offered. So when you're on the set of Devils and the publicist comes up and says, hey, you're in the biggest show on telly, it goes around the world, everyone's going to see it. We need you to do a front cover of this and a this of, uh, we need you to publicise this and we need to do that. Are you the person that just said, no, thank you, that's not for me? No, you have to do the obligations uh, when you'll see the, the and, and it's, you know, you do interviews or or press spots for them. So it normally comes with a package and these things, which is why you see press junkets for for the leads in, in films, Keanu Reeves or something. He'll do that all day and there'll be there'll just be a conveyor belt of journalists going into that room, which is why you see that same shot in every interview. You know, you've been there. I've been there, yeah. But for, but for you, you just, you, that's not a part of what you want to do. No, I mean, that, that comes with the territory. If you, you have to publicise, like, even my tour, you have to talk about the tour for people to know about the tour. And then, obviously, you can just spend money on advertising, but then on top of it, you, you want to give a few interviews to... No, but I would, no, what I mean is that you don't you don't want to be a part of the right. Let me get down to the nitty gritty of your of of you know. Okay, we had a laugh about your fridge, and um, we took you back to some very painful memories. But it is extraordinary how everybody, like you say, probably because of the reality shows, everybody wants to know your deepest, darkest secrets. And I get the feeling that you just keep them close to your chest, and I think that's. I think that's wonderful. I actually, I'm applauding you for it because when you do go and see you in your stand-up, it makes it even better. Yeah, and I've spoken about situations like that before on stage and it's you know, there's a way of, of doing it and, and I think you have to be careful in the way you put those things across and, and not as blasé about such serious issues and even use them, people would think, as a publicity stunt and that's not what I want to use my experiences for if I'm going to say them hopefully they can help other people uh, deal with issues that they may have experienced and there are lots of uh, dark places in life that people have gone through and you have to be I think quite you know, handle them with with the you know it's like handling a, an egg really if you if you handle it the wrong way it's going to crack and it's the same with a sensitive piece of information yeah, I get that. Paul, thank you. It's always lovely to speak to you. Really, uh, you're a very gentle man, so thank you for that. Oh, thank, and you, Gabby. You're a very gentle woman. Bless you. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. Coming up next week, one of the stars of Heartstopper on Netflix, Sebastian Croft. That Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly produced by Cameo Productions and music by Beth Macari. Could you please tap the follow or subscribe button? And thank you so much for your amazing reviews. We honestly read every single one of them and they mean the world to us. Thank you so much for listening. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.